Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Nick Davenport, a.k.a. Mr. Mental Muscle. And today on the Mental Muscle Podcast, we have Antoine Wisbisky. He has many roles, many titles, so I'll go through a few of them. He can elaborate more on anything I might miss. He's an author, a business owner, seven-figure social media content-making businesses. He does speaking. He has workshops. He does all types of things. We actually met at an event at Billy Carson's house, and we immediately talked about all types of things. I'm like, you know what? I'm on the same level as you and you're on the same level as me. I like this. And we finally got a chance to finally sit down and do this after like two, three months now. So I'm so glad to have you on. We're here in his setup and this is a great experience. So if I miss anything, elaborate anymore and we can get right into it. Nah, you're good, man. I'm excited to be here. All right. So to start off, uh, let's start from something super simple. What exactly would you say on the Mental Muscle Podcast, we like to talk about performance, how people get better. Mm -hmm. So what would you say just to a person who's like, hey, what am I doing in my life? I want to perform better. I want to think clearer. What was some simple tips or advice you might give to them? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is you have to know, like, what's your aim? Why are you doing it? Uh, do you want to get better at business? Do you want to be a better athlete? Do you want to just be a better person? Do you want to maybe like release some trauma because you know that's affecting your personality? So I'd start there. Uh, why are you doing it? Then I would say, based on what they give me, it's going to be one or two things. First is they're going to have to find a way to radically change their, their state. And I have a lot of processes I take people through. One of my favorites is just a simple, I call it an active meditation. It's very intense breathing. And it's scientifically proven when you do this type of breathing pattern that I teach, it actually shifts your brainwaves. It gets you more into an alpha theta state where you're kind of out of that analytical mind. And what they also found is after about 15 minutes of doing it, the amygdala and the, the amygdala center in the brain, kind of like the circuits aren't as uh, active. So they're more out of fear. And I think when people are out of fear, they automatically start to dream bigger. They automatically start to be better because it's, we kind of talked about that before we started recording. It's like that fear animal inside of us is very, very limiting in a lot of ways. So I, I'd say the, the go-to one um, for a quick practical thing is is some form of active kind of breath work where you're using your body as a tool to kind of influence your consciousness yeah breath work is a big thing i know a lot of people talk about it box breathing is one of them but yep. there's so many different types of breathing because just going back to like you said the amygdala for those who don't know that's the stress response the fight or flight that's what's happening the emotional instinctual center and that makes so much sense what you said because if I'm so focused on my instincts of just go, 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 act without any rationale or reason, mm -hmm. it's going to be hard for me to really plan out, decide, and you talk about like the frontal lobe, the prefrontal cortex, like that's where planning and decision making comes from. So if you're talking about being successful or even just having a better quality of life, it's hard for me to do it. Like you said, if I'm in that fight or flight mode all the time, like what do I do? I'm scared. I'm nervous. And it has its purpose, of course, but absolutely, you don't want it to be the, the default mode, right? No, no. Because I mean, th things like anger, you know. Fear is, fear can make you just do nothing at times. Like some people's stress response is like they're getting attacked and they just literally do nothing. They freeze. But anger is a little bit more active where it's like, yeah, anger isn't, isn't good, but it's also not bad because if someone's hurting you and you just let them hurt you, that's a problem. But if you have a way to fight, that's probably a little bit more beneficial. So you're more active. But again, taking that same stress response into your life on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, isn't ideal. You, you will not see the best parts of you come to life. And if you're creative and if you want to impact this world, I think if you're always under that fight or flight nervous system, you're kind of doing it out of a, a you're doing it out of scarcity rather than out of abundance. And I think the greatest people in the world who change the world, they may be stressed that the, they, they, they're so motivated to change something. So that like passion almost stresses them out. Like it's such a big problem I need to solve. But ultimately they're doing it because of a bigger reason. And that's a going back to point of find your why and why you do it. A lot of people, I think personally, it's not not to anyone because obviously we're all in different stages of life. I know I was fortunate enough to figure out around my early 20s, like where I'm at now with my company, Mind Body One, mental coaching and just performance coaching in general. I knew what I wanted to do around 20 through 24, but some people might see that till 30. But going mm -hmm. back to your point of finding that why, that gives you that passion, that purpose, that drive. Because a lot of people, I think, quit or give up, not because it was hard. Because I think as humans, we've adapted to hard work to some degree, whether it be physical or mentally. But it's like I wasn't invested in that 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, why would I want to do it if I don't care? Like, think about people quit six-figure jobs. Obviously, it's paying the bills, mm-hmm. but for some reason, they didn't want to do it anymore. Mm. I feel that, man. Yeah, I think um, you can't be afraid of hard work, but there has to be... I, I think, like, this is kind of how I see it. When you start a business, at first, it's a lot of, like, excitement. It's a lot of passion. It's a lot of, like, why of, like, I'm going to change the world or I'm going to help people do X, Y, and Z. And that's like a feel good kind of idea. Mm -hmm. Then you start and it's like a lot of times what happens is you're excited at first. You're almost kind of driving off that pure willpower. But over time, you run into challenges. Things do get hard. And a lot of entrepreneurs, that's like a make or break moment because a lot of people realize very quickly they're actually not meant to be entrepreneurs. And I tell people this all the time. Like I'm like, dude, it's okay to admit you're not entrepreneurial in your nature. Like you want to align your business and your life to your core nature. Some people are drivers, man. Like they don't know how to stop working. I'm one of these people. I just love to go, 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 go. When I'm doing nothing, I feel like my life's meaningless. Other people don't operate like that. They love their weekends. They love their time off. They love doing these things. And that's great too. But that person is probably not as fit for as like a real entrepreneur. Does that mean they can't still make a ton of money? Absolutely not. They just need to partner with one of those drivers. Yeah. I actually have a thing I always say. It was like a tweet I made like 10 years ago. And it's like, you only hate Monday because you love Friday so much. Mm, there you go. And it's not wrong. With that. I would never, like you said, I would never knock someone who's nine to five because I've done it. You've done it. You Absolutely. have to do it to. to some degree. Even to build your business, I'm sure, in my 100%. business, I had to work a, a regular job until I could make that leap or go into that entrepreneurial lifestyle. But yep. going to your point. It isn't for everyone, not just because it's hard, like you said, but it's more so that drive because people always say, be your own boss, be your own boss. But it's like, do you know what that really entails? <laughs> you you make your own idea. schedule. It sounds glamorous, but what that really means when you say, oh, you make your own set schedule, be your own boss, means you're doing more. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're doing less. People mm-hmm. think, oh, I'm going to sleep in on Friday or I'm going to make Wednesday my Saturday because just because. You could, but I doubt you will have a successful business. So mm-hmm. I like giving the real, and I like that fact that you said that because I've had back and forth with people about like, oh, why would you say that? Why would you knock someone's dream? And I'm like, I'm not knocking their dream. I'm just saying, like you said, are you equipped for this? Because coming back to the psychological aspect, talk about personality types. We can go into that. Some personality types dictate how we behave. It's not saying you're one or the other, but that personality type say like extroversion or openness Mm -hmm. or conscientiousness or neuroticism. Um, Out of those, if you're more conscientious, you're probably going to be driven, diligent. You're going to plan things out. But if you're more like, uh, agreeable, you're probably not going to be the best leader because you're going to just go with the flow and what everyone says. Yeah. So I think it's the same thing with entrepreneurship that you got to understand what is my personality like? What is my drive like? Because if you start this business, eventually you're going to be like, how do I keep it going when mm. I don't care as much because it's not making enough money or it's more work? So Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs, they get in, they say, this is so exciting. They go to start. They may even be highly skilled, but the art at the the person with a very specific skill, I call that, like I have, I talked to three types of, on, there's three types of entrepreneurs. They're the artist type entrepreneur. This is the person that has a very tactical, practical skill. That's what they can sell to make money. Then there's operations slash integrators. These are the entrepreneurs who don't really have a specific product or skill they can sell, but they're really good at systematizing the skill of the artist so they can help scale it. They can build the background systems. Then there's the third type of entrepreneur, which is the pure pure entrepreneur. This is the person who will get into a business just to grow it. They're a huge visionary. They'll do it for the money and then they'll sell it for multiple. Uh, Dana White is pure entrepreneur. Uh, He's passionate about the UFC, but he is a businessman and he's doing it for the money and the impact and he's a visionary. Now, what happens to a lot of artists is they can actually make a ton of money, but they don't know how to actually run a business. So Mm -hmm. they struggle. They really, really struggle. And that's actually what my entire new book's about, is showing these people with a very specific skill how with simple things, they can literally change their whole business. And one of those things is they have to partner with an integrator slash operations person. Otherwise, they're going to struggle and then they're going to get stuck in their business. These are the people that work 60-hour weeks and they constantly play whack-a-mole because there's no systems. They can't take a day off. They can't take a vacation. And I tell these people, it's kind of a harsh reality, but I tell them, you don't have a business. You have a glorified job. 
And that's a hard pill for them to swallow, but with simple strategies, they can change it all, which is why I wrote the book. And what is the title of the book? Uh, Becoming CEO Squared. I like that. And that's something I think could be very beneficial talking about the different types of entrepreneurs. I know personally, off of what you just said, I'm definitely the artist and I have yeah. a, a smidge of the pure entrepreneur because I do have visions oh, beyond good. mind, body, one and mental performance because I was fortunate enough that I was an, an elite level athlete. I play numerous instruments. I have a creative mind. I like creating things, whether it be art, music. So outside of the mental performance, that's like my vehicle right now that's going to grow and obviously at some point sell off and go to another endeavor. So oh, cool. I definitely can relate to that, but I'm definitely more of the artist because yeah. like you said, I play whack-a-mole, I do <laughs> things and I have creative systems, but it's like that integrated person is important because they're yes. simply there to get the job done. They don't, not say they don't care, but it's like their job they're is less not to emotionally evolve because they're not an artist. Exactly. And, and you need that balance. So what happens a lot of times to the artist is they may even have systems, but they don't follow them that too this is this is my, my my whole team always hates me because they have an entire system that works everyone follows it but me as the crazy artist who's a little neurotic at times comes in and i'm like doing all this stuff and my operations people will be like anton stop dude like you're messing up the whole flow of everybody's structure like you're coming in you're fucking this up so uh as you get those integrators and operations people i always tell artists like you have to trust them because they're, they're, you're going to hate them at first because they're going to you're going to feel like they're slowing you down, but they're mm -hmm. actually slowing you down to speed you up. And once you have that person, man, it changed it changed my entire business. Like it's actually what allowed me to really actually build something where it runs without me. Yes, that's yeah. that's so important. I like you said a glorified job. I agree with that 100 percent because. Mm -hmm. I would say majority of people, especially our generation, is the glorified job business. Absolutely. Because it's very like, rarely finding real entrepreneurs. Yeah. Because I have friends who are doing very well for themselves with something that's centered around them, especially when you get to like service-based industries, especially. Because me, I'm in that field to a degree, but I also have like non-service-based. So that's the beauty where I can kind of be in both worlds. But people who are strictly service-based, you really can't remove yourself until you built up like a whole fleet of people who can do adequately what do. do what you do or at least 60 percent like, or 70 percent and you stay in that top 20 30 percent yeah i know well, my classmate she's a hairdresser now and it's like she's doing very well because that's a high demand industry people yep. always want to get their hair done or need it so it's like but it needs her it's a shop because she scales to a major shop sure but that model is hard to make like how many chain hair cut or hairdresser to you really know there's a few there is a but few it's like a conglomerate like they're under these I, big brands yeah my my good friend kelly she innovated the whole industry actually uh she wrote a book called sustainable hair salon she's a good friend of mine her business does millions of dollars a year uh but there's an innovation to it it's all sustainable beauty and all her girls at her job are at her business make like six figures cutting hair but it's because she doesn't cut hair she runs the business. Exactly. She runs the business. And I talk about this in the book, how as an artist, you really have to know your nature because there's only two ways to scale as an artist. Way number one is what we just talked about. Get the people, show them that, how to do what you do and multiply your efforts. That's the better way. But that is not fit out for most people. And the reason why is because in doing that, you're actually going to do less of the art. Mm -hmm. You're going to start leading more. You're going to start doing yep. this. Now, the second way, which is the better solution, actually, for most artists, and they can make a million dollars doing what I'm about to share, is instead of scaling on quantity, like getting more customers, you scale on quality. So you raise your prices. Mm -hmm. So this is I, t I work with a lot of women, and this tends to be a really good route for them because most to grow a business, you need more masculine energy. Most women at their core, they're more feminine. They don't, they're not always into this driving energy or that can burn them out. For some men, that gives them energy. Yep. I'm one of these guys mm -hmm. that gives me energy because I have a masculine core. Now, with women or people who know, like, look, I just love my art. I love doing what I'll do. I almost do it for free. Those people have to get coached on, look, you're so good at what you do. You're almost you almost devalue yourself yeah. because you're so good and you don't see what other people see in you. You have to raise your prices. And I, I did uh, one of my clients, Mystique, she, you know, single mom, she does lymphatic drainage massage, and she was making like, you know, low six figures, like maybe like 90, 80 grand a year. I coached her. I said, look, double your prices, do this, do this, do this. Dude, she's making like very good money, almost half a million. And she 
now has the time to raise her child because she's not a slave to her business anymore. She has real freedom. And uh, that's what artists need to realize is like, okay, who, who really am I? Am I the person who's going to drive this business, teach other people how to do it? Some of my art's going to die, but my impact's going to grow. Or am I the person who, you know, I really love the art. I'm really not a business person per se. And I just need to double my prices or triple or quadruple in some cases. I always ask people, what's the difference between Louis, Louis Vuitton and Nike? Not really a whole lot. It's like shoes, shirts. What, what's the difference? The price. price yeah. Guess who has better margins by hundreds of percent? Louis Vuitton. All day. Sure. <laughs> All day. You might even get their material from similar places. Like <laughs> oh, 1,000%. And what's crazy is I wrote this book and while I was writing, I realized something profound. I was like, people don't buy products or services. People buy identities. Yep. People buy identities. And this is why Apple's so genius. Apple, Steve Jobs, he was like, I want the creative, cool, slick thing. Microsoft was like, we're Microsoft, like yeah. function, this and function. that. Apple's like the cool, the slick, the this, the that. And dude, they sold people an identity, man. And it freaking works. Let's run with that because this is interesting because I watched this podcast, right? I'm going to say the name of it. It gets a lot of bad feedback, mm -hmm. but I kind of like it because it shows human nature in a pretty raw state. It's called Fresh and Fit. Have you ever heard of that podcast? Mm -hmm. So there was one episode, they asked the girls, it was like 10 girls on the panel, would you date a guy if he had an Android? 100% of them said no. And think about this, going back to the Microsoft Apple. So yep. Androids, from what I've heard, I don't have one. I've had them in the past, but had they're better from a function standpoint. They are. But the, the culture of Apple and the iPhone it's unmatched. It's cool. So it's to the point where even in our dating culture, and this is where we can bring in like the just the human nature of it, like we judge someone. And it's not even just phones. It goes, it's with cars, it's with shoes. shoes. Like I've worn shoes that weren't name brand just because they were cheaper. And I got them when I was in high school just because for something like throwaway shoes, I, I would just wear to wear. And sometimes if I forgot them in my locker, I'll wear those shoes instead of my like better shoes. And I got 100%, clowned. 100%. And it didn't change who I, I was like a star athlete, but they're making Changes fun of identity. me because I'm wearing shacks. I literally wore shacks because I, I forgot my, my Nikes or whatever shoes I was wearing at the time. And they're like, oh, Nick wearing shacks. And it's like, it didn't change anything other than what's on my feet. I can still run fast. I can still jump high. Matter of fact, I'll probably run you over. <laughs> so going to your point, like that's where we're at. And I agree 100% because whether it's food, whether it's clothing, technology, Dude, we don't everywhere. buy with the money. Obviously, you have to take price into consideration. Don't get me wrong. But people, and I wrote about this in the book, people will bend on their logic-based decisions because the brand emotionally mm -hmm. is involved. Exactly. Their brand, the brand ties and tugs on the expansion of their identity, mm -hmm. and people will dis just put all logic to the side. That's the beauty of the brain. Like it, it's very good at what it does and sometimes does it too well because yeah. if we want to get into like the brain signs of that, we can talk about how like it does that because it jumps the line because if you're about to make that purchase and you see item A, let's say off-brand product and item B, insert whatever name brand you like. Mm -hmm. Let's say you look at both, huh, this is $29.99, this is $100. Mm -hmm. They do the same thing. And you look mm -hmm. at the, the labels, nothing's different. Nope. Your brain say, wait, I've seen a hundred commercials of product B buy that versus say, you know what? Product A might be slightly better and it's more affordable, mm. but our brain wants to just make sense of, but you've seen this, they call it availability bias. So it's like, what's ever readily available to your mind is going to judge that. Mm. And that's a tool that marketing companies, they know about these things. Oh, absolutely. They know the about biggest it. companies in the world know how to brand your subconscious. This is why companies pay millions of dollars for the Super Bowl ads. And on these Super Bowl <laughs> ads, they don't even talk about their damn product. Have you ever seen the Budweiser commercials? Yeah. <laughs> they got this little puppy is going through the motions. You see this, this guy like with his horses trying to like save this dog and then it escapes and the horse saves them. And then it's like emotionally, you're so involved. The puppy gets lost. It comes back to the mom. The whole family's happy. All of a sudden, Budweiser. Why? <laughs> because they understand. Let me get you emotionally involved in my product, my service, and then flash my symbol my brand, to your subconscious, all of a sudden one day you're going to be going through the store. You don't even know why, but you're saying, I want a Budweiser today mm -hmm. because subconsciously they've branded you. So this is what the greatest companies in the world do. Now, that's kind of borderline for me on integrity of like, ooh, yikes. I wish they would use that for good. Like we all yeah. know beer is not good for you, but imagine if you could use that 
for your brand, for your service that you know is serving people, which everybody listening to this podcast, if you're an entrepreneur, I can guarantee you're doing something good on this in this world. So I always say, if you want to beat the game, you got to play the game. Because if you can't play the game, you will never be able to beat it. And if you can't beat it, you can't change the rules. So you can't run away from the game. So learning these kind of marketing uh, intangibles that are always happening is a very powerful way to put your business in front. And it's funny you say that because you can talk like, say, people who are, say, anti-capitalists or oh my social God. justice. And it's like, get me I get your sentiment. I get it, too. But like you just said, work. if I'm not in the game. So if you're you out on the street picketing. It, man. You got to change the exactly. system from within. And that's how I've always looked at it because we even get off topic. But on topic, being a, a young black man in America, there's a lot of things. And I don't want to go off the rails completely. But I feel on that because I know personally, if I see their struggle... Which there is sometimes. I'm not going to act nonchalant to it. Of course. But at the same time, if I'm not doing things active in the system, how do I make it better? And I was fortunate. Mm-hmm. My father, he's a, for, he just retired two years ago. He's a police officer. And his father actually was murdered by police. Go figure. Wow. Right here in Boca. Actually, you know what's crazy? Right down the street from on Palmetto. Really? Yes, 1968. Yes. So Damn. we're not talking about deep south Mississippi. We're talking about right here in sunny south Florida. And... Going to my point, why I bring it up is he could have easily said, oh, the system messed up. I hate it. I'm complaining about it. No, he became a police in Broward That's Sheriff's awesome. Office. One of the, I think it's like the fourth or fifth largest department in the country. And he became a sergeant in there. So he did a lot of community outreach programs, drug prevention programs. I used to walk the streets marching with him as a, like a five-year-old, six-year-old right in Deerfield where he was stationed at, at that point. That and it's awesome, like man. he was making the very change that was a part of why he could have, he could have went the other route. Yeah. I resent the police. F the yeah. police. He could have. He could've. easily could have did that. But way so less effective. That's why I guess that's, I'll check my bias because I am. That's why I look at it as now as a 34-year-old black man in America. Is is a perfect system? No. no. But I can't make it better until I do something to grow and I can change things. Because if I'm just sitting there at a low level and I know people might debate this, it's like protests have their place. But I'm going to be real. Just like everything else, I think it's evolved. Protests did work in... 1955, where conglomerates didn't run the world. Like when they didn't eat or drive buses or whatever it was, mm-hmm. people felt that. Mm-hmm. You can't really hurt these big companies like that anymore to the, that degree. The biggest least. protest is how you spend your money. Boom. Exactly. So it's like, like it's, what happened with, was it was it Budweiser with the whole trans thing? Yeah, it was. I think $5 billion in a quarter. And that company has grown every single year. This is the first year in hundreds of years, quite literally they've ever gone backwards. That says something. Do we have to agree with the everything? No, but that company is looking at its internal process saying, oh shit, something needs to change. We're doing something wrong because guess what? The people control this world, man. There's a small minority that controls the world and the illusion is that they have the power. It's not true. People have the power, mm-hmm. but the consciousness needs to change to understand, look, every time you spend a dollar, every time you stay scrolling on social media, every time you watch the news, you're actually hurting your own cause. Like these, the way these companies, I own a social media company, the way these Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all these companies that people so, so-called hate, they make all their money by you staying on their app. Mm-hmm. Think about it. Their app's free. Think about People it. They don't see the bigger picture. They don't see the bigger <laughs> picture. So I, my whole thing, and I think they do. I think they just they're so we're so. I, I caught don't. In it. I don't think they really do because if they really, really saw the bigger picture, I think they do something about it. Hmm. Like I really think they do. Like we can all say like if 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 we saw a child outside getting beaten up by a man, I hope people would step in. Yet that's because they're seeing it. They don't really see beyond the scenes of like oh. how detrimental some of this stuff, how deep it really goes, man. I mean, these companies pay some of the top engineers and psychologists in the world to figure out how to use specific sounds, specific colors, specific little animations to literally capture your brain's attention so you spend more time on their app. It's like, yikes. That's 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 pretty uh, pretty sickening if you really think about it. But at the same time, it's not going to change. So you might as well use that same system, but for good. Exactly. So I love what your dad did. I think that's uh, that's honorable, man. Uh-huh. Not a lot of people would take that route. And that says a lot about I am him. today. And that's why I can't get into the whole let me whine on the sideline. Like I said, it has its place, but I'm big on optimization. Like 
is that going to be the optimal approach? Because mm. if you want to change laws, run for Congress. Yep. Or become a judge or a lawyer. Like you got to do something that's within it. And I know there is love that like minority judges and all that. But it's like that's not the bulk of people. If you really want to change, let's get off a of race for a second. But let's in, like you said, go back to like social media. People. The reason I said I think some people know. I guess I meant it more as they understand they are being played to a degree. Because you know how people joke says, oh, they're listening because I'll see an ad right after I talked about it. It's like, <laughs> not, it's not that they're listening. All your searches tell them what to put in front of you. It's just coincidence that you were searching X, Y, and Z. You're talking about it, now it pops up. So that's what I meant. So they, they are oblivious about it, but they, they're aware that we give our information, but they don't realize But they do much. also listen, just so you're aware. Oh. They also listen. Well, that's why, especially uh, like, Instagram. <laughs> what about um, what do they call like Siri and Alexa? What about those things? Uh, I'm not, I'm not they, too educated on it, okay. so I don't know. I would um, assume maybe because I would you talk assume to maybe them it would make they, sense. They chime on. I know, randomly. like um, the uh, what's it called? The thing that vacuums your house. Roomba. Roomba. That thing is. <laughs> sketchy, it knows the square man. footage yeah. of every inch and knows where to go. So, so there, there is like some, but again, like it. I don't think that's something to be necessarily paranoid about. But just to be aware, like it's not conspiracy theory. It's just like, mm -hmm. yo, like they're doing it not necessarily because they have bad intent. You know, I don't think that's why they're doing I it. I agree. Because with conspiracy, my thing is with conspiracy theory, when I get into a talk about this with someone is low key, most of them don't need all that extra stuff we conspire about. Because yeah. we low key give it to them already. True. It's like, what if they did X, Y, and Z, this and this, the plot to take down this just so they can change this law? If they want to change the law, <laughs> they can change, change the it. Damn law. So it's like this illusion of like, we got to stop the, like you said, the 1%. Yeah. But there's more of us than them. Way more. There, there's, if you do the percentage of America, there's 330 million people. So this is just our population. Uh, my math might be off, but that's like 33,000 people if we go to the exact amount. Yep. That's not a lot of people. Like not you talk all, about man. if there was a, a person said, no, let's, let's just stop doing everything they tell us and see what happens. Low key. They couldn't stop. Even if the military jumped in, you still outnumber the military. Like well, there's the biggest two military people. in America is the and we the still people. outnumber them. Now, obviously, they have more resources, but that's literally. I know it's a cliche. I guess the Fourth of July just passed two days ago, but that's literally what got us to the point of independence. Yep, England was the superpower back then. It was. They're, they were the America back then. They ran every travel port route across the world. It's the spices, the slave trade, whatever, and we fought them with untrained soldiers. And it worked. Hey. So it's, it's ironic how we live in this mindset of big, bad, big government, big whatever. But it's like the literal story of how this country became independent from the, the most powerful army, most powerful nation in the late 17th century, 16th, 17th century is how we got here. So I don't know. I, I, I'm, I guess I'm getting more optimistic, but that's why I agree with you, because it's like we do have the ability. Now, maybe that's grand scheme, but even at the small scheme of like, what are you doing in your community? Yeah, 100%. How many, going back to business, so let's get back to that. It's like, if I start a business and I have at least four employees, it's not a major corporation, but that's four families that now have food. Dude, amen, dude. Four Ca families. I, dude, I'm so, like, it's the similar way to, like, with your father and the whole police and his your grandpa being murdered by policemen. It's like, it's the same kind of analogy with capitalism. A lot of people say, oh, well, business is so bad. Business is this, business is that. But they're looking at the major like titans of industry, Instagram. Like they're looking at literal billion and sometimes trillion dollar now companies. But they forget that the backbone of this country is small business, man. Yep. And small business, most businesses do like, you know, they make like a million dollars a year. There's some coffee shop or 500K a year after paying their employees, their wages, man, they're taking home a hundred grand. But guess what? They're they're happy and they're making this world a better place. So it's like, instead of being like, I have a, the whole intro of the book is like going really hard at like, no politician is going to change your life. He can change policies or they can change policies. But at the end of the day, no one's coming to save you. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think a lot of people got this idea that it takes luck or magic or even God to like create success. And it's like, I'm a man of faith. I believe in God. But I also don't think if I sit here and lie on the floor, God is going to come bless me with financial abundance. Like, I just don't believe that. And I think when people put their power into like these outside forces, it's like, yo, that's no difference than like the victim mentality of like, no one's going to come do it, man. You got to do your part. And I think as you do your part, as you strive, as you go to create something, that's when uh, God or the universe steps in to, to support you. But 
I think a lot of people get it confused, like, especially in, in capitalism and business of like, look, man, this isn't some magic thing. This takes hard work. This takes grit. This takes determination. This takes effort. And it also takes strategies, which is literally what the entire book's about. It's like, you can have the greatest strategies in the world, but if you don't believe in yourself, you will never act on them. You will never do it because at some level, you don't believe it's going to work. But what do strategies actually do for most people is they give them the confidence to do new things. The strategy like inspires them to take a new action. So what happens? Oh my gosh, they get a new result because <laughs> they did something different. And then people like put their hands in the air and say, oh, it's magic or it just happens. Like, no, dude. Your actions influence the new result, man. Yeah. You know the, um, well, obviously you know the group, but one of my favorite groups is Outcast, right? The oh, reason yeah. I bring this up, I'll make hey, sense of this. No. Oh, that's the newer Outcast. Mm -hmm. I'm going, I'm taking it back to 1997. The reason I bring this oh, up, you right? Old there's a song called In Due Time, and mm. it was Outcast, Andre and Big Boy featuring CeeLo. CeeLo okay. used to be a part of um, yeah, yeah. Dungeon Family, right? Goody Mob. So he was on the, or the, it was the chorus or the interlude, and he had a line, he said, even when you pray, the next day you got to try. Can't wait for somebody to come down out the sky. Mm. And I heard that so long ago. So but it resonates because what you just said, like, you still can believe. You can thank God and say he has a plan for me. But at the same time, he's going to be like, well, but what would you do with that plan that exactly. I have for you? If if I gave you this plan or gave this will or gave you this uh, ability, mm -hmm. did you put it into action? Because mm -hmm. a lot of times people say, I hope, I wish, if I get lucky, like, say the lottery, like, I'd rather wow. work for my earnings versus wishing it happened. Could you get lucky? Sure. You can. But the odds aren't in your favor for that. Like, yeah. let's be real. There is some, like, good opportunity that has to be a part of it, but I wouldn't call it luck. It's no. just more of you putting yourself in position, and when the opportunity presents, you just go with it because mm. you already were prepared. Versus, Because a lucky person who's not prepared or whatever, the opportunity, they're going to probably fail. Yeah. Oh, every, like, every oh, day of the week. Hey, a uh, uh, million-dollar investor, venture capitalist coming Oh, I didn't finish my business plan. Oh, oh well. Yeah. Now, now what? You met him, and he's like, "Well, what do you got? Nothing. Nothing. Exactly." <laughs> and this is why most people who win the lottery go broke. They don't have the consciousness to handle that money. Mm. That's it. So they they have a poor what I call a paradigm, and I have a whole chapter about the subconscious mind. Essentially, a paradigm is just a hard set of beliefs from your past that form your identity, forms your personality. But the thing about your paradigm is it dictates. 95% of your conscious process, it's like, it's all a subconscious thing happening. The 5% of your brain is conscious where it's like, I'm going to make a decision. You think you have free will, but it's like, you have all these old beliefs from the past that are influencing you at a very subconscious level. You don't know why you're doing it. It's just a habit. It's like, you don't wake up and think like, oh, let me go grab the coffee. It's like your body just pulls you to it because it's just a habit. Your body has become your mind because you've programmed it through a set of actions that have you've done for so long. So to break that program takes a, a lot of effort, man. You have to have processes to move beyond the analytical mind to really get kind of into the nervous system. And you would know this really well to, to reprogram what's happening because our brain is totally neuroplastic. We can become something else. And this is not woo-woo stuff. This is literally neuroscience. And I have a whole chapter on why so many people just will never create success because they're not changing who they believe they are. They don't actually see themselves in a successful way, so they don't act successful. So they have bad habits. They never learn how to invest or save or this or that, and they're not, they're not prepared when the luck strikes. They're just not prepared, so they can never act on it. Yeah, I'm going with that because you made a good point with like these long-term subconscious thoughts that influence everyday behaviors and decisions. And we use the term like, say, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Yep. We always talk about the major trauma, but just like with, say, physical fitness, and that's why I call my business Mind Body One, because it's like, there's a physical side of the mind. There's a, there's a just like you mentioned, the nervous system and all that. There's also the psychological. So going with that same analogy, think about fitness. Every time you lift the weight, that's micro trauma. There's major trauma, like you break your arm. That's major. Yeah. But micro trauma is like little tiny tears every time you do a curl or a squat. Mm. And the same thing with, say, your mind. So going to your point, mm. every time I have these little experiences, whether they're productive and beneficial, growing, or they're negative and detrimental, bring me back with these thought patterns that aren't good for my business or my life or my endeavors. Mm. It's like all these, these micro uh, tears, as we would say in fitness, right? is coming to the same part of the brain. And in this case, it's neurons firing. So going back, bring it full circle, that neuroplasticity. So 
guys who are listening, guys and girls out there, he's right because a lot of people get caught up in this, oh, you're just this way and that's it. You're born a certain way. If that was the case, I wouldn't even have a job, mm. right? So it's like understanding that we can uh, make the brain uh, more plastic, more malleable over doing things that put it in a state where it has to change. Yes. And most people aren't doing that. They're stuck the, in their ways. They're not because they're, they're, they're missing one or two things. They're not attaching enough pain to not changing or they're not attaching enough pleasure to changing. That's really all it comes down to. Yeah. They don't give themselves a big enough reason to do it. It's like they're just comfortable, but they don't look at how far the repercussions can go if they don't change. I learned this. It's a very powerful technique that I use at my events where I just, I, I ask people like, what's the worst possible thing that can happen if you don't change this? Some people don't even think about it, man. Some people, like you ask them of that about their money situation, they don't really ever go there. But if you really go there, it'd be like, hmm, if I never fix this money problem, what's the worst possible thing? And I kind of make them go a little bit over-exaggerate. But that gives them leverage on themselves. So then they, when it comes time to fall into an old habit, they're thinking, oh, shit, no, this equals pain. I can't do this. Let me go that way. And then they actually take a new action. And eventually they stop running from the pain and they just let the pleasure pull them of like what this all could become. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. So going off of that, so let's talk a little, because I know you just mentioned how you work with clients and whatnot. Let's talk about that. I know a few months ago uh, I wasn't able to attend, but you had a, I don't know if it was a summit or yeah, retreat. Yeah, se seminar, yeah. Or seminar, yeah. So let's talk about how those go and what do you <laughs> offer in those and how that gets implemented. Yeah, I mean, they're they're freaking... They're, they're incredible, man. I've seen um, some videos, ice baths and yeah, things like fire that. Firewalks, so, we do yeah. it all. And I also do virtual as well. We do wood breaks. And what I'm there's there's two types of events I do. I do the business events and then I do like the more personal events. Um, but what I have found is that they're one and the same. If you want to change your business, change who you are. If you want to change who you are, you can also influence your business. Now what I do is I kind of break it up into two categories, but it's kind of now morphed into one where I'm doing more business seminars where I'm showing people how they're, everyone has a story. They have a story why they are the way they are. They have a story about why their business is the way it is. 99.999999% of the time, it's bullshit. They've told this themselves so long that it's become this self-fulfilling prophecy. Everyone believes, oh, I've been stuck at, you know, 500 grand for 10 years. I'll never break them seven figures. Bullshit, man. But when you have that belief, that's going to reflect to you in your reality. You're not even going to see a new potential because you have this self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's almost like they're in a light form of hypnosis. So I help them break that in a multitude of ways. Sometimes it's just very direct and I'm challenging them very face on. Other times it's more elegant where there's more of a process where I take them through an internal journey where they can start to see their own bullshit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like say, man, yeah. I've been playing so small. Or man, I've been doing this because this thing happened to me five years ago and I'm still holding on to it because I got sued by whatever and that made me bitter. And th they work through it in that way. So at my seminars, I'm giving them very practical strategies with application. So when we're looking at their business, I say, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. I'll share my whole story about, you know, how this specific strategy worked. And then in real time at the seminar, I have them apply that in their business because what's going to happen if they don't do that, they're going to go right back to their life on Monday. They're going to go right back to their old ways. So I got to get them really quickly taking a new action while they're in a different state. And then they'll start to see movement. And as soon as they start to see that movement, they're like, holy shit, these new actions may actually lead to different results. And as soon as they start believing that, I know their whole life will change. I know their whole business will change. And then we do a lot of identity work as well, where it's not enough just to have the strategies like we talked about. They have to have a whole new perspective on why they're doing their business. They have to be more uh, attached to the actual impact and they have to fall in love with the contribution that their business makes. And I really... I think I do a really good job at helping them reframe that even though their business may only be at six figures a year or even, you know, 50 grand a year, it's still meaningful. It still matters. And they're playing so small with it. So I love on working with entrepreneurs because we, they very much have a massive impact on this country and in the world in some cases. Yeah. And that's something I've seen more. I've gotten to work with uh, more corporate wellness, uh, companies, organizations like say BSO, I've worked with them 
uh, city of Miami Gardens. And that's something I can say, like their mindset, they're in a different position. Like everyone can utilize what you're talking about, of 100%. course. But it's like there is just like we talked about earlier, like it's just a different drive, a different passion, different mindset. So you kind of have to have that that ability to, like say, find an identity because they have to wear a lot of hats. Like, I don't care how, like we talk about the different types of entrepreneurs, even if you are specific, you're still gonna have to wear multiple hats. Even when you become that, that uh, running a seven figure, 100 employee business, if you get, you're fortunate enough yep. to work hard enough to get to that point, cool. You're still gonna have to wear multiple hats. So 100%. they go through different, it's just like a sport, right? The quarterback struggles aren't gonna be the same as off offensive line struggles. They mm -hmm. both have to deal with a lot. Mm -hmm. That's not to deter any of them, right? But it's like, if I'm the quarterback, I gotta know your plays, my or my the play, but I have to know your position, his position, the receivers, and all that. So how the coach has to coach me is gonna be way different how he, how he coaches you. So that population definitely, I know there's a big need for that, and it's definitely growing in the, in the today's market with like performance coaching with like execs and all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, because I think people more and more are realizing that if their internal energy or their state is all messed up and they have all this anxiety and fear they cannot optimize their business. Like bottom line, they have to have processes that move them out of the fear so that they can experience the power of serving. Like you can't be an effective leader if you're under that, you're all anxious and fear-based. You just can't. How could you effectively lead people to, towards a vision when subconsciously your body's in a state of survival? It's like, that's not a time to create. That's a time to survive. And biochemically, the way you speak and everything you come off, it's not gonna, it's not gonna tug at their hearts. So the state of the leader determines the state of the organization. Period. End of story. No questions asked. If the leader is in a poor, shitty, crappy state, everybody else around them will be as well. And yeah. we gotta take control of our company culture, and we do that by taking control of our culture. This one human body. If you can't control that, man, you can't influence or inspire anybody. That's very true. It's very mm -hmm. true. So going with that same notion, talking about like you said, mind states and neurochemistry, I like that because when we talk about the mindset or mental or neuro, whatever term you want to use, because me personally, it all falls under the yeah, same umbrella, same right? <laughs> so, but basically talking about neurochemistry, biochemistry and all that stuff, there's actually ways people don't really know that you can affect that to help you perform better or in turn perform worse. Like say like, let's use the probably the most, one of the most overused neurochemicals, dopamine, oh, right? Yeah. They call it the pleasure hormone, but it's really more so the motivating or not hormone, but neurotransmitter yep. It's for motivation to give you that incentive to keep going. You mentioned a little bit ago, like if I want to have that drive, some I've actually heard some studies are showing like that withholding of the uh, pleasure or the reward actually produces more dopamine. But that is crazy because when we tie this all together with like entrepreneurship or just business, the person who's more successful is the person who endured longer but most people stop because they didn't get that reward. So it's like a, a contradiction, a paradox almost, because if you're able to sustain longer, it increases dopamine that will give you that motivation you need eventually so you can keep going to reach the success. Yep. But unfortunately, most people, it, we can take this even slimper in a business. Like, let's say when you're hungry, so you're on a strict diet, you're trying to lose a few pounds, and it's like, okay, I've been waiting all day, I'm starving. But if I just wait to say seven o'clock, I have my meal at home, but you're on the road and you're like, or wherever you're at you're not home yet is like but i'm hungry now you don't wait that full six seven hours and now you're like i'm just gonna get a mcdonald's or something mm. either eat crap food or you eat binge of food but whatever it's not what you should have done and it's the same principle like if you can just hold out that little bit longer the success doesn't necessarily come just like we're eating you don't lose weight just eating that good healthy meal but at least got you to where you need to be and you made it to that checkpoint and i think most people lack that and going from neurochemistry level it's like you gotta build that up oh absolutely and you have to understand that once you build it up and you are patient while you're working hard to achieve it, once you achieve it, you have to have your next target. Because this happened to me once I well, I was 20, uh, let's see, how old was I? 23. And I made $350,000 in a year. And all of a sudden, I mean, dude, like two years, two, a year earlier. I made $24,000 in one year. A year after I made $350,000. That's like big stuff, especially for a young guy. Dude, my entire drive just, boop, I just got comfortable. I was like, oh my God, like I'm making 30 grand a month. This is incredible. Like horrible thing to happen. 
So I had to like, I started to like go a little backwards and I was like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I need to get my next target and not get just satisfied with what I got. And that was just, I think that's a normal process, but it's important for people to know how big or small your wins are. You got to choose the next target. And this isn't like some people say, well, isn't that unhealthy? Shouldn't you be fulfilled and happy with what you got? Yes, deeply fulfilled, but not satisfied. I have more impact to do. I have more drive to, 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 I have more drive in me. Same thing happens when like men, you know, get married and get, get the girl. It's like all of a sudden they have this, like, uh, this lust for life dies down because it's like they accomplished their mission, but it's like, man, you got to keep that energy going where it's like for, if you're looking at it from a dating or relationship sense, like the chasing or the courting never ends. And that's the mentality you should be in because what that does is it forces the individual to look at how do I keep getting better? How do I keep improving? And I think that's a really healthy way to live life. And you summed that up perfectly because it ties right back into the dopamine aspect of what I just said, because it's like using the dating example or the marriage example, yep. it's like the dopamine rush of taking them out, taking her out. Oh, she's going to text me back. <laughs> text you back. Okay. Take her out again. We get a kiss. Take her out again. Oh, whatever. Yep. And then you get married. It's like, I already got her. You still could take her out, but it's just the effort is a little different. You might fall back. It is what it is. It happens. It happens to everyone. Everybody That's goes. relationships in general. But going to your point is you have to have that same mentality. So just going back to business, using the same mindset is like you have to keep doing that next thing or that next drive. And like you said, people get caught up in the you should be satisfied or you should be fulfilled. And it's like as humans or just life in general, it's ups and downs. And it's like you're either getting better or getting worse. It's not even a negative thing when I say that. It's more so that's just a law of nature. Like even with physics, right? I don't know which law it is with Newton, but it's like there's always an op opposing force, right? Opposite so if force, yeah, yeah, so if I'm not doing one thing by logic, the other thing has to happen. So it's not necessarily you're, you know, I get what you're saying, but I know a lot of people don't when you say, oh, I still gotta have the next thing. It's more so like not like I gotta feel justified by the next thing, but it needs to be in place for me to sustain where I'm at, you know? And go to even more heights because I think, especially for like, I think just people in general, not even just specifically men, I think people need to feel like their life has meaning and that comes through progress. Like if like there's a saying, like we, you kind of just alluded to, if you're not growing, you're dying. Not technically, but in a spiritual sense, you are, that's how I see it. Because if you look at a tree, what does a tree do? A tree grows in nature till it's, max one day a tree doesn't wake up and say you know what i'm just gonna stop growing today it grows yeah. as much as it possibly can and that's what nature does and i believe nature is a reflection of god so if we want to emanate success in our life we have to model nature so i have this like kind of ideology that doesn't mean necessarily your profits need to increase year over year month after month but as an individual you have to grow in different capacities, not just in your business, but you have to grow in life. Because if you grow at, if you grow as an individual, that's going to directly influence how you show up to your clients. That's going to directly influence how you show up to your team, as long as you're getting better and working on yourself. So for me, I tell people, hey, man, skip a meal before you skip feeding your mind. Like I am so like rigid about this. I will read before I will eat because I believe I have to continuously grow because that keeps my spirit healthy. That's kind of how I see it. I agree 100%. Mm. So what, what would you say to someone, for example, I see this a lot, I actually have a, an intern I just started working with me and she said something about like how her friends at, she's 24, that doesn't, they're not able to see her vision of like growing and becoming success in her right because they're too caught up on the past. like. So going the opposite and trying to find the next thing, they're too busy stuck on the last thing. Yeah. And it's like, cause I get why, because when we always say a win is a win. So it's like, you want to relive that. And if you're not getting new wins or new endeavors or whatever it may be, you only can refer to that point of reference. And it's easy to get stuck there because it's fulfilling. Like, oh yeah, I remember that one time to get to the point where you're talking about things from 10 years ago. Yeah. And I all honestly, I'm not even trying to flex. I really don't even think about anything I've done pre-2012. And it's not that I'm not aware of my accomplishments. Like, that me was a, was an athlete. Like, mm -hmm. I've, I've done some legit things as an athlete, but it's not really something I care about in the sense of it doesn't take me to the next step. 100%. I think she needs new friends. It's a hard pill to swallow. Uh, but 
your friends will unconsciously hold you back. Does it mean they're bad people? No, but you are the average of the five people you hang around most. If all five of her friends cheat on her husband, guess what? She's going to cheat on her husband. This is just how it works. We become who we associate with on all levels, income, beliefs, religion. It'll all be very, very similar to the average of the five people you hang around most. Thank God we're in a society today where you can associate with great minds through social media, through audiobooks, through autobiographies. So on her part, she has to do her end of the deal where she's striving to seek new connections, maybe go to networking, attend some local events, but start investing in her mind, listening to podcasts, because you can associate with people you don't even know in real life. Like I did this with a ton of authors when I was young. I was more obsessed with their ideas than what my friends were talking about on how to get girls when they were 16 years old. <laughs> that wasn't an interest of mine. It was like I wanted to, I, I prioritized success more than getting girls. They didn't, nothing wrong with that. But I had a vision for my life and that pulled me. And if I would have stayed around those people, man, guess what they're all doing? All the same shit they were doing when right. I was 17. They're still looking for local parties. They get together every weekend and drink beers and sit on the couch and watch football. Nothing wrong with that. I don't want that though. And I never wanted that. I wanted something more. And that took a very hard moment of like, you know what? I think I need new friends. And I strove and now all of my friends are massively successful. All of my friends, all we do is talk about business. All of my friends, we talk about impact. And, and that's just because it's always gonna be a reflection of you. So on the, on, for her, on the brink of that change, she's going to have to make a moment. Do I want to entangle more, so to speak, or associate more with my past or associate more with my future? The past is certain. The future is, is uncertain. It? But there's nothing wrong with uncertainty. And if she could find the beauty in trusting the variety of life uh, and having faith and s going in that direction, uh, whole new doors will open. Because if she goes that other way, no new doors are opening. I'll take it off her and even use myself, for or example, anybody, yeah. because I know using my good friend, Phil DeRue, I have to give him, always give him his props. We've known each other since junior year of high school. So that was 2006, mm. known each other literally half our lives. Mm -hmm. So with him, like we talk all the time and I would say a majority of it is business too, but it's like, since we have that mindset and just like yourself, it doesn't sound like work. Cause a lot of people say, don't you do games and football like we can do that too of course like like i said we went to vcon yeah that that's an opportunity that outside of just like business like it was fun we went to the come show with um andrew schultz Ooh, oh that's awesome. when do you have fun nick <laughs> right then right then. But guess yeah. what it was business related and I went one of my best friends so it's like this notion i think people have uh that fun kickback stuff and making money, making moves, gotta be completely separated is weird to me. And I know you probably agree on this, like it doesn't have to be because that's, that's literally how we met. That's, that's the funny thing about we met. we met at a party with like-minded individuals <laughs> and we we're talking about stuff like this. Like, exactly. were we not enjoying So We had a drink, we had some cake. We, uh, what, I think the game was on or some, something. something was, but, yeah. but it's like this notion that it has to be complete. And what I've learned from just my fortunate to be able to be around people like that is like, they literally live in that mindset it's of a lifestyle. you can, yeah, you can entrench it in your lifestyle because I remember in the past I've dated girls who kicked me to the curve because they were like, all you do is work. I remember one time me too, man. it was like, all you do is work and I want to do this. And I even said, well, I work with a lot of people who are high profile and they're not around as much. And know what she said, but they're millionaires. And I'm like, true, true. I'm not there yet. And it's like a week later, I got the chance to go to the UFC Institute. They flew me out. I got paid to go out there and work with some of the top UFC fighters at the Institute. And it's like, that was from like nine to 11 a.m. So now I'm in Vegas for the rest of the day for two, three days. Is that not a vacation? It looks like a vacation to me. Heck yeah. But I got paid to do it. Right. And people think I'm weird because of that, because it's like, I'm not saying you can't travel without getting paid. You can, obviously. Of course. But it's like, if I can, I'd rather get paid to do two, three hours of whatever I'm doing out there. And then I got the whole two, three days of, just being there, you know, mm. but yeah. I completely agree, man. I think um, our culture has really like pushed the idea of average and mediocre. And I think there's nothing wrong with being completely average and working like a nine to five and enjoying your weekends and, you know, hanging out with your buddies and doing this stuff. But I just don't want that. And I never, ever wanted that. 
And I think there's a lot of people who have ambitions outside of that, but their friends and their family like suck them into mm -hmm. their way of being and they get this like spike of inspiration and their friends go, oh man, you could never do that. And then they stop believing and yep. they go right back to the old habits. So it's like, I've been dead broke. I've also been, you know, pretty successful like I am now. And I can say without a shadow of a doubt, I enjoy my the success more. It's not because of the money. It's because the difference between Anton 10 years ago to Anton today is not necessarily even my skills. It's my mindset and it's my it's my heart, who I've become. It's I'm proud of the person I've become. And that only is a byproduct of pushing my own limitations, coming to the edge and finding what am I made for? There was back in uh, the same time I made 350,000. That following year, I lost a quarter million dollars in one day, in one day. And man, in those moments, you learn who the hell you are. You learn who you are. And you can't find out that if you're never willing to risk. So I'm all yeah. about it, man. I think people like should be risky until like they start having a family. And even then, man, you just, you can't mess around. This is your life and people blink and they're 50. You know, well, life goes by fast, man. Yeah. It goes by real fast. So we can't be playing small out here because we we have lives to change. We have people to help. We have people to serve. And guess what? We're also, it's okay to also enjoy the financial abundance that comes as a byproduct of that. Because with my money, what I do, and this isn't just my ego, this is just the truth. I reinvest it into my team. I, I donate monthly to fight child sex trafficking. I'm constantly seeing who I can employ. I'm constantly seeing how I can spend more money to add value to people's lives. Like some of my retreats and seminars last year, man, it was, I lost money, sold out events, but I lost money because I love giving people an experience because I can do that because I'm, I, I make a good amount of money. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think people have gotten so far away from like thinking like ambition, like people correlate being a capitalist to being like a right-winged hardcore like conspiracy theorist see a guy with like a thin mustache going like this with a bag of money with a dollar sign on dude, it dude it's crazy that's what man. they think it is and it's crazy it's like yo just because you're radically successful in your business doesn't mean you're a donald trump supporter like there's this weird correlation happening man it's freaking me out well, it's funny because when you say that too is like going back to what you mentioned earlier like you only can make change if you're in the game exactly. and who's going to make more change person who's making ends meet trying to support a family and just barely making it day to day or the person who has a uh, passive income that can literally put someone's salary strictly in, in a, a donation just a donation 100 someone who can pay your salary's worth of money just for a donation you made say you made fifty thousand a year he or she can make that just for a donation and go about their day yep who's can and, and like you say it's not belittling the person who is making ends meet because guess all. what we all got to do a part right. your part as the fifty thousand let's say that's a teacher your part is teaching the future Mm -hmm. But if, if I'm an important a, job, but if I'm a seven figure earner, my part is giving uh, capital that go into the community that I, I'm a business in, as well as paying for things that could actually help mm -hmm. these things happen. So going to that point, too, I think also why like you use Donald Trump as an example, but I think it's just all of those guys, like anyone who makes over a billion dollars, they lump them into a category of this, the, the, the greedy, the big, the evil this, corporate. The, but yeah. there's people who make money to that extent that we'll never know their names. Oh, and it's funny because there's I, more I, there's more of those people. <laughs> exactly. There's more of those people than the famous ones. I know. Those are just, that's going back to that availability bias. Because mm -hmm. when we think of billionaire, the first two or three people are Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and uh, Elon Musk, and right. Mark Zuckerberg, whatever. Right. But it's like, okay, they're probably the top, top. But the guy who has a net worth of $7 billion, you don't know his name because he started a, let's say, a, a, a firm that does engineering for, for boats or something. Right. You will never hear his name on TV, nope. but he's worth $7 billion and he donates millions of dollars to local communities every year. Mm -hmm. But we would never know. So we have to give credit that the world can't get better without capitalism. I know though, it's emotionally charged now because, like you said, they associate with greed and, and that could be a part of it. But what isn't greedy? You know, like, say, Michael Jordan. He said that to get to where I was at, I had to be completely selfish and not care about others until I got to the top and I gave everything back. 
And I agree with that. I know times I have to be selfish because, and I have a daughter. You mentioned about having children, right? Oh, that motivated me. Yeah, she's nine years old. Oh, that's awesome. And that motivated me not because like I need to provide for her because I was already like this, like you. At 23, 22, I was like, I don't care about the parties. Like, I maybe went out a handful of times in college, but I was like, let's figure out the next moves. So with her, when she came in the picture in 2014, my mindset was like, I want to make not just her life better, but I want to be in a position where the world around her can be better because guess what? If I can influence it to some degree, first I was a teacher, I was doing things like that, and I started my business. So it's like, we got to get out of this mindset that you can't be a good person and have money. That, that's, that's, that's weird to me. It's I don't silly. know. <laughs> and people who usually say that are people, unfortunately, who don't have money. But what I realized is that money is an amplifier of your character. If you're an asshole, you're going to be a rich asshole. If you're kind, you're going to be a kind, rich person. That's just how it goes. It just amplifies what you already are. If you won't donate 10 cents out of a dollar, <laughs> you will never donate $100,000 out of a million or ten million, a million out of 10 million. Because it doesn't matter the, the metric. It's the reflection of the individual. Yep. It's how it goes. And that's perfectly said. Going back to like personality types, because people assume that, oh, if I had this money, like let's use the classic thing people say, if I was rich, I would do insert grandiose tasks. But they going back say, to what you said, if I was. what did you <laughs> donate to charity when you made fifty thousand a year, oh yeah, like you just said, if you gave if you gave fifty dollars out of the whole year, I respect that way more. If Dude, you same. you could do donate nothing and you just talk about, well, if I get money, like you can donate ten dollars now. It may not change 100%. the world, but if it's ten dollars no, towards the cause, it does change the world, man. Well, yeah, because definitely. that step, it's like the whole like you know, the whole like golden rule: treat people how you want to be treated, be a good person, because that idea of the person who makes 50 grand a year and donating $200 is a huge deal for them. But they're stretching their potential to give to a bigger cause. Man, that's so powerful. And they don't it's not always just about donating. It's also about their actions of how they show up in the world, you know, when they're tired coming home to their daughter and they don't want to be a good dad cuz they had a fucking stressful day, but they're putting themselves to aside to serve something bigger. I love like that those like that just moves me to my spirit because that's what I really think life's about. And I started donating to this uh, a couple different organizations that fight uh, child sex trafficking. And I did this just like five years ago. I was just uh, I got motivated to pretty much do this by Tony Robbins. And I saw how he went undercover and went to this whole operation and saw it firsthand what happens to these children and the way he spoke about it just moved me. I never heard of this issue. And at that time, like five years ago, I wasn't anywhere near where I am now, like not even close. That same year was the year I lost the 250,000. So I wasn't really in a good spot. But I remember when he said that and I was like thinking about logically, like how much should I donate? Like da 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 da. And I was like, you know what? What does my heart say? Let me donate from my heart. And doing that one thing when I really didn't have anything to give, but I gave a little bit more than was probably like financially healthy, dude, it changed me. I, I got so emotionally connected to this cause where, you know, I'm, I was young. So this was, that was the first time I ever donated to like a cause. I also donated to helping uh, dogs and this stuff when I was a little bit younger, but I was so moved and I was like, man, this is the reason to be an entrepreneur. This is the reason to be financially successful. It's way bigger than me. So every year now I have this ritual. I've been talking about it more. I just shared this publicly for the first time about three weeks ago where every single year I cut an unhealthy check to an organization that I believe is doing really good things in this world. Nice. I think it's so important, man. That's good stuff you're doing. That's yeah. great. And we need more people like and that. And I hate to even say it because it sounds like my ego, but no. I want to inspire people to just see why why you make the money, why you push yourself. Because let me tell you, if you're doing it for yourself, you'll half-ass. But if you're doing it for somebody else or you're doing it for your family or you're doing it for your community or you're doing it for the world in some cases, the human spirit comes alive. It, we half-ass on ourselves. We over-deliver for those that we love. So if you can fall in love with like serving humanity, I think you can pretty much overcome any challenge and, and really also rise to massive success. Yeah, altruism is a big uh, predictor of life satisfaction, mm. no matter how big or small. That's been statistically shown in research studies when they talk about 
what truly makes people happy altruism giving of others whether it's your time your mm. efforts your money yeah that's what makes that, me happy that's for what sure. gets people most life satisfaction but um yeah mm, i love that so before we close it out i always end every episode so i always ask for i call it the last two so two things that they can take home i know we gave them a lot of take-home messages a lot they can run with but two things that you can give to the audience that when they turn this off after hearing you say it they'll be like I can go do that right here and now. It could mm. be a quote, it could be an action, it could be a task, but mm -hmm. someday could easily just say, what? Okay, I'm gonna go do that. Take home two. For the entrepreneurs, or no, this can be applicable to anybody, but you can't change what you don't measure. So find something in your business or maybe even in your health that you can start measuring. If you're not an entrepreneur, maybe start measuring your sleep. I use this little thing right here called a whoop or an aura ring. If you never measure your sleep, how could you make it more effective? How could you optimize it? You couldn't. Well, if you never measured your numbers or your margins or your client uh, satisfaction or response time to, to your clients from your employees or your own response time to your team or you you didn't measure you know, how much money you're actually making, you didn't measure the attitudes of your staff, you didn't measure productivity, you can't change it. So find a way to measure in your life. That'd be one. Is there another question or is there is yeah, two, two, two take things? Home. I call it take home two. Uh, second thing I'd say is like truly not trying to sell it, but if you're an entrepreneur, get the book. Hey, I'm not um, mad at that. Yeah, I mean, it's, Plug it. it's so practical to change your life and upgrade your business, truly. So, you know, if you don't want to take that one, the last thing I'd say is, Doubt your doubts before you doubt your dreams. Truly, we as humans have the ability to literally create reality. And I was virtually homeless when I was 21. I was sharing a bed with my own mom, like literally every single night. And two years later, I was making $350,000. Two years after that, I made my first million. And I think that story inspires a lot of people to realize, look, successful people are no different than you. You just have to work on your beliefs. You have to work on your identity and you have to do the hard work it takes to get there. So if you have like this little inkling, even if it's like 2% of like, ah, I want to do something more with my life, trust that 2%. That 2% will guide you. That 2%, in my opinion, is God or the universe calling you to something more. And as you have the blind faith to trust that, it just all works out in a weird way. So... Oh, those great points. Even the second one, you could have left it at just that because that take home, I feel, was very beneficial because what we just talked about yeah. will be in that book to a greater degree. Then they definitely should get it. So before we wrap up, uh, plug your social media. Where can they find you? Yeah. Websites, all that good stuff. Yeah. So AntonWisBisky.com, A-N-T-O-N-W-I-S-B-I-S-K-I, AntonWisBisky on all social media platforms. And uh, yeah, shoot me a follow, leave a comment in this video if you liked it. I love uh, always reading the comments personally and seeing what people took away or maybe what they didn't like or if they think I'm an asshole, great. <laughs> hey, so I appreciate it here. So thanks so much for your time. It was great. I'm glad we finally got to catch up and this was an amazing talk. And thanks guys for tuning in at home. And as I always say, get your mind right.